0: We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by regular commentator, Russ Feingold. Good evening. And on the telephone by Taipei-based freelance journalist, Ralph Jennings.
1: Good evening, Gavin.
0: Tonight, we'll be discussing the latest news about the coronavirus outbreak in Taiwan, the nitty gritty economics of the coronavirus pandemic, calls for China Airlines to change its name to something more Taiwan focused, renewed talk of a long stalled anti stalking and harassment draft bill, and news that Causeway Bay Books founder Lam Wing Kee has finally picked a date for the opening of his store here in Taiwan. But we'll begin with the Central Epidemic Command Centre reporting no new coronavirus cases on Tuesday and Thursday of this week and some Taipei buildings celebrated that by turning their lights on to spell out words of encouragement. However, that has actually turned into something else, because while the centre did not report any cases on those two days it did report two more imported cases on Wednesday of this week meaning the number of confirmed cases here in Taiwan as we record the, today's show stands at 395 and those new imported cases have led more lawmakers to call on health officials to begin larger scale coronavirus testing but the health ministry says the government is considering mandatory coronavirus testing for all travelers returning from what it's referring to as certain high-risk overseas locations however the ministry has not named those specific high-risk locations. Face Mask Esports continue to make the headlines here in Taiwan this week with the head of the British-Taiwanese all-party parliamentary group, the governor of the US state of New Jersey, the vice chairman of the Manila Economic and Cultural Office and the head of the Japan-Taiwan Exchange Foundation all thanking Taiwan for its donations of surgical face masks. While Trump administration officials are being cited by the Washington Post saying that thousands of Taiwan-made surgical face masks donated to the US government are now protecting White House staff and officials. However, it was competing comments by Singapore's first lady over a couple of days this week that made the most widely talked about face mask export headlines. Now her Ching originally took to her Face Meet or Facebook page to question Taiwan's donation of face masks to the city-state, but within a couple of days of that, return to her social media pages to express her thanks to Taiwan for offering to donate the surgical face masks to the city. Now, former President Ma ying and KMT Chairman Johnny Jung this week joined with business groups to call on the government to look at coronavirus financial relief plans being employed in the US, the UK, Japan and South Korea, as well as other countries, and offer residents cash payments and not consumer coupons. Now, according to Ma Cash Pay- Payments are far more useful than coupons, as Ma says people can use the cash for living expenses rather than being constrained by the limited use of consumer coupons. Ma also said that he's concerned that the coupons will not address the urgent need that some families have in regards being able to pay their bills or rent or to purchase much-needed household items. President Tsai ing on Thursday, said that cash payment subsidies will be paid out to disadvantaged people, and those included the disabled, the elderly, taxi drivers tour bus drivers and the self-employed who have been heavily affected by the coronavirus, but she dismissed the calls to hand out cash to everyone in Taiwan. And the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and the World Health Organization continued their war of words this week, and the latest spat followed publication of a crowd-funded advertisement in the New York Times highlighting how Taiwan can help in the fight against the coronavirus pandemic And that's what it said, but the WHO responded to that advert with a 13-point statement. Now, in that statement, the first eight points sought to explain how Taiwan's health authorities and experts interact with the global health body and are jointly responding to the coronavirus pandemic, while points 9 through 13 set out to explain the interactions between the WHO and Taiwan on different global health issues over the past several years. Now, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs dismissed those 13 points with the head of the ministry saying that the reality is that Taiwan has only ever been granted very limited participation in global health matters. And the Ministry went on to say that the WHO is guilty of a failure to either be neutral or uphold professional principles due to its willingness to accept political pressure from China, and it should directly contact government health authorities here in Taiwan. And the Foreign Ministry also called on the WHO to invite Taiwanese officials to attend this year's World Health Assembly as an observer. And on Thursday, President Tsai Ing-wen joined that call and said, basically... WHO, please allow Taiwan to participate in all your activities, not just some of them. So, Ross, where should we begin? Let's begin with mandatory testing for people from some high-risk locations. Of course, other countries have done this. And, of course, there has been calls in, in past weeks for the government to initiate this system.
2: Well, the government seems to have a good grasp on the overall situation. That's why it's gotten positive media coverage and uh, globally public support here in Taiwan. This seems like a relatively... Uh, low effort, uh, you know, as far as does the government have the resources to do this, it seems like a relatively low effort action to take. We'll probably spend more time debating this in the public space, on TV, on on radio, like we're doing now, than, than the effort it would take to implement this, keeping in mind the relatively small number of people who are currently entering the country anyway, given, you know, the, the situation with global travel, obviously, only citizens and residents are are entering taiwan right now so Go for it. Why not? I mean, who's going to object? Well, of course, you know, in, in Taiwan, Gavin, there's always the, the human, you know, someone's going to say it's a human rights violation, right? It's an invasion of personal privacy. you know, There's always going to be the lunatic who says something like that. But uh, I, I don't even know why we're talking about this. I, I mean, I'm not mad at you, Gavin. I'm just saying, like, you know, who's going to be offended by this? Well, just go ahead and do it. I mean, we're throwing around so much money on virus prevention efforts. Anyway, sometimes these things are absolutely necessary. We go to the extreme. Sometimes they're not. Uh, But
0: sure, why not? And Ralph, mandatory testing for people coming from high-risk places.
1: It kind of makes sense. The health minister here has said on a number of occasions at his daily news briefings that most of the cases that Taiwan has recorded over the past month or so come from abroad. These are people who have traveled in from heavily infected countries in Europe and the United States, and, you know, sooner or later they turn up with uh, with virus. so if you can test them right then and there, intercept them in the airport, it makes perfect sense. I think the airport's already pretty well equipped to do a lot of that anyway, so it seems like just a stepping up of something they've already got going. And I think that measure will be a lot more effective and a lot less invasive than some of the other, I should say intrusive, than some of the measures that are taking place here in town that don't really seem... To be applicable to what's going on here, things like registering your name when you go to a bar, Um, you're having to wear a face mask in a place where you're supposed to eat and drink because they don't want to put space between the tables. There's a lot of things like that that are going on that doesn't seem to really make it, especially if we have a zero or near zero local caseload. And what about
0: face mask exports, Ralph? I mean, obviously, they've arrived in Britain, America, Japan and the Philippines. And the Washington Post citing members of the Trump administration saying they're now wearing Taiwan imported or donated, rather, face masks in the White House.
1: Oh, good on them. I I suspected this from, from the get go when Taiwan banned the exports of masks back in February, I think it was. I wondered what they were going to do with the, you know, with the control of that, and now it appears that there's sort of this face mask this diplomacy thing going on where they, the the government controls the supply, the, the, the actual output amount and where the face masks go. Of course, a lot of them go to the pharmacies here and to the medical personnel, and then they've obviously socked away quite a number that they can use now for diplomacy. Uh, And this makes a lot of sense in the cross-strait context because China has done this as well. So um, Taiwan needs to get its name out there. And it touches on what you said earlier, Gavin, that the, the government's done pretty good work and they want the rest of the world to know about it. This is one way to let them know. And so, Ross, Facebook diplomacy...
2: You mean face
0: masks, Gavin? Facebook, Facebook. Oh, sorry, slip of the tongue, slip of the tongue. Uh, I know you're a big Facebook user, I was, Gavin. <laughs> I, was, I was actually thinking about the, um, the wife of the Singaporean first man, basically, who went to a Facebook page and said uh, that
2: Ching. This. yeah. Uh, well, we have to keep some perspective here. You know, we, we can't lose our minds in in diplomacy glee just because we hear that some people in the White House are wearing a Taiwan face mask or there's a facebook post by some foreign government whether at their their headquarters overseas or their representative office in taipei that says thank you to taiwan i mean there's a lot of medical equipment personal protection equipment uh personnel going around the world as as certain countries have uh managed this well or their situation has begun to resolve itself in a positive way; they have excess capacity, and they 've been sharing that I mean, even in the United States, we already see that some states are able to share p p e the personal protection equipment or ventilators as the day to day the situation improves within a particular city or state mm-hmm. uh, so Vietnam, for example, is also exporting or or gifting masks to other countries so there are a number of countries that are doing this, Taiwan is one among them, that's that's great, but we have to keep some perspective here.
0: And what about the comments by the Singaporean first lady who first of all said oh i don 't know whether we want the masks i don 't know if they 're coming and then suddenly she had to say, "Oh, thank you very much well let
2: 's excuse me let, let 's be very clear on the on the chain of events the, the allegation is that some production that Singapore had in Taiwan owned by a Singapore company. Uh, was banned from export uh, when the government imposed the ban. So uh, you can understand that some people in Singapore might have been a little upset that uh, their own goods, you know, they own the production, it was their order, etc., couldn't get out of the country and I, of course we, we we live here we understand the other perspective is we wanted the supply to be available for people who live in Taiwan uh, but but there there was some uh, hurt feelings on the other side they oh you know, Taiwan you're our you're our friend we're, we're, we try to be a good friend to you where we can uh, and Singapore is one of the better relationships that Taiwan has certainly in in Southeast Asia uh, and their their order was was stopped. Uh, And and now Taiwan is saying, hey, we're doing mask diplomacy. And and you could understand where Taiwan, sorry, where Singapore would be a little upset over this, uh, probably wasn't handled ideally on both sides. I mean, we don't want to see like netizens in Taiwan, you know, just just going viciously after uh, the first lady of of Singapore. I think that that's really a a bit much uh, because then it just angers the public in Singapore, uh, as well as the government there, and, and you want to have the support of uh, of Singapore uh, within Asia. Uh, and then on the other side, it, it's clear that... Um Some of the messages that she reposted uh, were not the best uh, content as far as it seemed like she posted a video that uh, actually was from the other side of the Taiwan Strait. It wasn't from Taiwan. It has something critical about Taiwan, which she meant to be what she meant to be uh, uh, complimentary. So then she had to take that down and apologize. Uh, It actually shows that the level of knowledge on both sides. Taiwan government vis-a-vis Singapore, Singapore government vis-a-vis Taiwan has an extraordinary room for improvement.
0: So does use of social media. Anyway, Ralph, coronavirus relief coupons or coronavirus relief cash, cash for everybody or just cash for the very needy.
1: I kind of like what's going on already. If you give out cash to everybody, no matter what their income level is and their needs are, you're going to find they go and buy toilet paper with it or they just sock it away or they put it, you know, buy their next piece of property with it, something like that. Whereas if you issue vouchers to the the middle class majority and higher, then they will take those vouchers to these really hard-hit businesses like uh, restaurants, uh, some of the retailers, and spend it there because they have to. Otherwise, it's not worth anything. Uh, Whereas if if you, I think also you do need to give cash out to the people who are hard hit and I assume the government has a way of determining uh, which families are, are needed the most and they will accordingly hand it out in that direction.
2: I just want to be very clear, Ralph. Uh, if you don't want your cash, please accept it. Pass it to me. I'll share a bit with Gavin. You know, we'll... we'll- a bit. Yeah, a bit. <laughs> as long- a as <laughs> Well, remember earlier in the program, Ralph mentioned that the bars are still open. You just got to write down your name. So maybe me and Gavin will go out for a drink. And- and we'll-, we'll-, we'll even write your name down, Ralph, and say that this... <laughs> I
1: will invest the money in ICRT to make sure it stays on the air. How's
2: that? Uh, one-, one interesting thing about this this discussion uh, is that different countries have different approaches. So there isn't at this point much mystery about, about this. Uh, You could direct money to businesses and employers, help them subsidize uh, uh, staff salaries. That's something we see the U S is doing a lot of. Uh, Taiwan has been providing a lot of low cost financing to employers, uh, Not necessarily for salaries, but just for for general operations. Uh, So there, there are lots of things you could do it's interesting that mying joe's talking about coupons since his government also issued coupons in response to various uh events and he was he was at his post for the financial crisis and and uh some major typhoons uh, so he knows a lot about this uh, i'm sure the critics would say he, his his responses weren't very good uh but but coupons are something that we've seen uh several governments in taiwan do in, in the past 20 years uh the, the efficacy really is questionable.
0: What about cash could I mean do you think cash go to everyone or simply just the people that are very needy?
2: Well the the Andrew Yang school of thought from the US uh, the democratic presidential primary was just just give it to almost everyone with with very very limited uh exceptions maybe for the for the super wealthy. Uh the money does get spent uh so you might as, might as well just give it to everyone because we don't want to spend an inordinate amount of time figuring out who who doesn't get
0: it. And Ralph, let's look at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and the World Health Organization. What are you what did you see in that this week, with the World Health Organization releasing their 13 points and then Moffa shooting all 13 points down?
1: I don't really see anything new, to be brutally honest about it. Taiwan and the WHO have been at it for, for years and years and years. And This is, in terms of substance, in terms of what each side is saying to the other, um, it it doesn't break any new ground. The the Taiwan's uh, premises haven't changed, the reasons they want to get in, the things they want to get out of it, um, their resentment toward China, resentment toward the WHO itself, those are all, you know, fixed. Those are all in place. And what the WHO has said, perhaps more than they normally do, they often, uh, without a a pandemic in place, they will ignore whatever Taiwan says and just come back and point people in our profession, point the reporters to things that are already on the website, which don't really tell you much. Um, so at least there's a dialogue. Yes, it's kind of a brutal one. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure how the the guy at the top, whose name I can't pronounce, has suddenly got thrust into it as a, as a person. Um, but, but I don't really think that anything's going to change. So maybe Taiwan will end up being an observer again at something or other and kind of relent and then um, you know see if they go away after that and you know but I, I don't expect major change and I don't hear anything new being said
2: well we'll just keep going back and forth as as Ralph said uh, the the one thing Gavin you know we've said on your show many times over the years because this is not a new issue is that the reality. For Taiwan's closest allies, and we could put it in order of importance to say the U.S., Japan, EU, Canada, Australia, maybe Singapore, uh, those countries have robust representative offices here in Taipei. Taiwan has robust presence in those countries' capitals. When when there's an issue, whether it's a public health issue like like now or some other major security issue or or something of – regional or global uh, import, Taiwan does communicate with these other governments. So it, it would be false to say that Taiwan has completely lacked an ability to have bilateral or even multilateral engagement directly with other countries. And frankly, that that's more efficient than going through something as as bureaucratic and, and uh, obviously d- d- uh, defers to China, like the WHO, I I think the greater likelihood uh, is that the U.S. will have some kind of coalition. You know, just like they have, like the ISIS coalition, and Taiwan got to participate in that, and Taiwan's flag was on the State Department website, and everybody here kind of, you know, lost their marbles for a few days because they were so excited to see the Taiwan flag that it disappeared, then it came back, and people kept losing their marbles some more. So the U.S. will probably do some initiative to to say the WHO because we think you're you're so awful that's why we cut funding. So now we'll have the the non WHO anti China Virus Coalition. And Taiwan will get invited to that, and there'll be one out of dozens of countries that participate in that. And, you know, as Ralph said earlier in the show, uh, you know, we'll probably move on to some some other issues, some other, we might even forget the lessons of this or Taiwan's, you know, participation in the the antivirus coalition.
0: Moving on, but staying with coronavirus-related news now, and I spoke with Stephen Tan of the International Policy Advisory Group about the nuts-and-bolts economics of the outbreak here in Taiwan and how it could affect trade, the GDP, the CPI and the unemployment rate. Good evening, Stephen. Good evening, Gavin. So we'll begin with how do you see the coronavirus outbreak affecting Taiwan's exports and imports for this year?
3: Well, I think uh, Taiwan as an economy is going to continue to suffer Because pandemic, it's not going to just be Taiwan. It's it's global pandemic, and uh, the the global demand, uh, particularly from Europe and the United States and China as well, have been driving down to the point where it's an economic downturn, and Taiwan has been driven by the export, import, and export obviously you know for what we can see right now in the next at least in the next couple of months it will continue to go down and will continue to suffer and nobody at this point can predict exactly the numbers or the percentage but it looks like that i would not be surprised to see that in the next couple of months that we'll see some uh, negative growth
0: if you had to be optimistic would you say by the second half of this year we could be seeing an uptick or it would be more towards the end of the year and into early next year
3: well it's it's hard to say but let me give you you a point of reference um american chamber of of commerce earlier this week just issued a press release um uh, on the survey of the ancient members on their expectations of the pandemic and and it shows that um although 95 percent of the respondents saying that they're generally satisfied with the government's performance on controlling the disease. Only 41% uh, expressed a de- degree of satisfaction with the government's economic relief measures. And then what's more important is that 84% express some confidence that the Taiwan's economy would recover, but only in the next 18 months. So it, it, it's hard to say at this point in time, but I wouldn't be surprised that um, in, in the third quarter, to say at least, we will still be struggling.
0: And what about the GDP growth for this year?
3: Well, you will probably see, uh, I'm not an ec- economist myself, but you're probably going to see the negative. Uh, at this point in time, um, you know, some of, the, some of the agencies and institutions have already uh, published a forecast, uh, most indicating some, somewhere between the 1% to
0: 2%. Right. And what sectors are being the hardest hit in the short term? And what sectors do you think could see problems in the long term?
3: Well, see, in the immediate and short term, you see the sectors of the tourism, hospitality, restaurants, airlines, and travel agents and travel groups are taking the immediate hit. But in the longer term, because of the, the, the global slowdown on demand side, uh, the manufacturing and the services, the export driven, and throughout the, all sectors will be severely impacted unless the pandemic uh, will be under control in the next couple of months, which at this point in time on the global landscape is, is unlikely. So, what, what you will see is that. The speed of the development of the vaccine will play a critical role, and to what extent and whether and how and when that uh, we're going to control the pandemic or control the coronavirus will play will play a key role in the economic uh, forecast and outlook. At this point in time, uh, it will still be a bit premature.
0: What about the island's tech sector? Uh,
3: the tax sector um, because of the global de- demand and also because of some of the uh, pre existing obstacles um, between the u s and China, the tax sector will continue to suffer't um, uh, we don 't we don't see a signal of the um, increased demand at this point in time, particularly the tax sector again it's primarily uh, export-related, export-driven, um, and then in the next uh, at least couple of months, uh, you, don't, you don't see, um, you know, um, a, a positive sign.
0: And what about the consumer price index? Are we likely to see hikes in commodity prices in both the long and short term?
3: In the past two months, um, March and, and February 2020, um, both months we see the, uh, the negative. Well, negative 0.25%, which is a quarter of the percentage, which is mild, but then you see a deflation. If you continue to have that in April, that means that a quarter of deflation, very similar to the 2003 where we had SARS in that year, the full year. Uh, we, we, we saw the deflation then, of course, the next year, which is 2004, get a rebound. But then the moving trend is that in terms of the CPI, Gavin, uh, we're probably going to see the deflation in 2020.
0: And what can we expect in regard long and short-term unemployment figures for this year due to the coronavirus outbreak?
3: On the unemployment, I'm a bit optimistic on that, primarily because of the fact that there, there are a variety of stimulus programs that have been initiated by the government. Although it is not enough, but, but right now um, many employers are reluctant to lay off the employees and instead um, they will offer unpaid leaves. Uh, with the mandate by the government for the minimum for the payment of the minimum wage and then the low so if you see the decline of your business from the previous year by fifty percent uh, then the government will subsidize to the, up to the point of 40% of the employees' salaries. So that helps a little bit, and that, that sort of helps alleviate the unemployment rates. But, but then again, I mean, they're somehow somewhat misleading. I don't see a big surge on the unemployment rate, but then again, uh, the workers and employees of all sectors will continue to suffer.
0: That was Stephen Tan of the Taipei-based International Policy Advisory Group. And we have to take a short break now, but we will return after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan this week. Now, we've talked about coronavirus in the first half of the show. Well, but there was some news, we could say, that was born of the coronavirus outbreak this week, that being calls for Taiwan's national carrier, China Airlines, to change its name in order to better represent, well, Taiwan. And Premier Su-Jung Chung told reporters this week that while he supports the changing of the airline's name, such a move, though, he warned, was in his words, involving complexities and could likely be only accomplished in the long term. Now critics of the current airline name say that it negatively impacts Taiwan as the country is currently donating millions of surgical face masks to other countries and is misleading people overseas into thinking that those face masks come from China. Now Deputy Transport Minister Huang Yulin says that his office is now open to discussions regarding a name change while Transport Minister Ling Zha Long on Wednesday of this week announced that he has already asked China Airlines to study the possibility of changing its name and according to in. he's hoping the airline will choose a name that has more taiwanese elements and he also says he wants the airline to listen to a wide range of public opinions about the new name when it evaluates the possibilities so ross the comments involves complexities and could likely only be accomplished in the long term being a major factor i agree with that i don't think they're going to change the name of this airline overnight
2: they've been talking about this Ever since the first time around for the uh, DPP, Democratic Progressive Party government, between 2000 and 2008, Chen Shui-bian, his administration, looked at these things, all the various state-controlled companies that have China in the name. He waited till uh, the final two years of his second term to start trying to change this. And then the ying Zhou government changed back some of the names that the Chen government had successfully changed. And then some of the companies wound up with these... Somewhat goofy mixed names like China Petroleum became CPC Taiwan in English, at least. And, you know, you just confuse us foreigners even more. Um, So it's completely inexcusable for for the minister to say something like that. Right. He is a minister. He should show some leadership and say, yeah, this is the right thing to do. We're, we're going to get it done. I Maybe mean, be giving us this, oh, well, there's no societal consensus yet. It's like what they say with every single new proposal, something, you know, a new law or some kind of major change in public policy. Well, there's no societal consensus yet. We're just going to have a committee to do some research. So China Airlines, why don't you form a working committee? You know, the Gongzhou the, Xiaozu, you know when they're going to have that working committee? They're trying to make the issue go away. Go away for a while. Uh, you can't get away with that in the internet era, though, with you know so much social media discussion, and the public will have petitions, and you have the, the fellow traveler, but non-DPP. Parties in the legislative UN, they're not going to give the government a break on, on this kind of issue either. Uh, really, just make a decision. Don't come up with, with excuses because then you're, you're, again, you're just repeating the mistakes of, of the Chen administration on this. And, and you had four years of the first Tsai administration to, to look at this as well. Gavin, the same thing has happened with the Chiang Kai shek memorial. Right that the government said we're you know it 's time to do away with this symbol of of the authoritarian era uh um, we we're, we're going to you know, do something about it and then it 's just kind of gone into this same space of well there's no societal consensus yet, so let 's have you know, 2,000 committee hearings about it and public forums and online discussions and publish some papers. And well, well, the, it seems like only professors win, win on this because they get to go attend some committee meetings and write some papers.
0: And Ralph, looking at this from an overseas perspective, do you think the government's maybe holding back on it because it could lead to problems internationally? Obviously, if they whack Taiwan Airlines on the side of a 747, some countries might be a bit adverse to giving them landing rights.
1: I don't think that's the chief concern. Um, it is confusing. We have China Airlines here. The Air China is the, the the flagship state carrier based out of based out of China, and the names are are similar. It's confusing when you want to go book a flight if you're not, not familiar with the landscape of Asia. Um, so there's that. There's a there's um, confusion. There's a political element where you want your your planes going in to have the the, the name of. The name Taiwan on them for lots of reasons that we can all imagine. Um, I believe that Chen Shui-bian's government had trouble with the airline during his term because um, the government can't, the government has a stake in the airline. They have shares, I believe, but they can't just stick their hand in there and say change the name. It does have to come from the airline itself. So they do need to form the Gongzhu um, Xiaozhu, and it has to go through their whole board. It has to be something that they they want to do as a company um, and they may they may be afraid that their brand will be will be um, compromised even though it's um, not an ideal name at least politically from a PR point of view and all that it is their name and they've had that name for years and years decades and that's what people know it by um, so it's not so e- it's not as easy as changing the name of uh, CKS memorial to so you bong or something like that where the government has total control they just reach in and get it done and i think that's that's probably where they stand at the moment
2: well I, I think they're they're using that as an excuse the reality is they control through a foundation the ministry controls the foundation the foundation has a majority of the shares even though there's a small amount of the shares that are traded publicly but the the government has majority shares they control the board. I mean, let's be absolutely clear on this. The board appointees, the chairman of the board, uh, what in Mandarin they call the general manager, the Zong Jingli, which is equivalent to like a chief executive officer, is approved by the government. These, this is just a politically appointed leadership at the airline. They could put this on the agenda for the shareholders to vote and they control the majority of the shares and just be done with it.
0: All right, of course if we had to pick a name for the new China Airlines Ralph what would you pick Taiwan Airlines Formosa Airlines what would be a good name?
1: I think Taiwan Airlines is fine a lot of places well people all over the world but you know looking at Asia since we're here you know a lot of a lot of places a lot of countries and regions and even cities and provinces in China whatever they have their own their airlines bear the the location where it's based and that's kind of an accepted. A conceptually accepted way of naming things in the civil aviation industries. Right, Ross.
0: China Taipei Airlines, Formosa Airlines, Taiwan Airlines.
2: Is the Pan Am name available? I kind of like those old airlines that are no longer with us.
0: Oh, the Free China Airlines. <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, you know, or the. Uh, <laughs> You said something in Taiwanese dialect, maybe? That that yeah, would be well, a you creative Yeah,
0: well, you could, you, could call, you could call it the Taiwanese, but you'd spell it with a D instead of a T. So it's
2: pronounced in dialect. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's an innovative idea. Uh, you would only confuse the traveling public <laughs> even more, but it might achieve the political goal.
0: Anyway, moving away from the coronavirus completely, other talk this week in the Parliament here was when Interior Minister Xu Guoyong, he was quizzed by lawmakers about a long-stalled draft anti-stalking and harassment bill. Now, the Cabinet actually approved this draft in April of 2018, but it's been stalled in the Legislative UN since then, and the bill sets out to define the act of stalking or harassment as repeatedly monitoring or following someone, calling a person on the telephone and not saying a word, persistently asking for dates, sending gifts, attempting to sabotage someone's reputation or using the other person's identity to purchase items. Now the bill looks to criminalise the act of stalking and these other offences with basically a maximum prison sentence of three years and a 300,000 NT dollar fine for repeat offenders. So Ross, yet another draft bill stalled in the legislative UN.
2: It seems like the interior minister and the transportation minister had their talking points written by the same writer. You know, well, we need more time and societal consensus to figure out the implications of making this change. Uh this is like so many other issues that it goes into the never-never land of we need to talk about it some more. There's no societal consensus. As you said, Gavin, the, the draft was approved by the executive UN in 2018, which we have to remember came following years of discussion, right? Years of of the Ministry of the Interior NGOs, other stakeholders, legislators who who have been supportive of this, having meetings and forums and hearings and papers uh, to get to that point where the executive UN uh, had a draft that came from the ministry. The executive UN passed the draft and sent it over to the legislative UN. And now it's two years later, and we're still saying, oh, we need to find a societal consensus. The minister was saying stuff about, well, it's going to have an inordinate impact on, on uh, effect on on police because they'll they'll spend a lot of time investigating these cases and it'll take them away from from other uh, things that they need to do and they don't have the expertise i mean that that just seems like like a real silly excuse because the police have to investigate crimes and, and they're not expected to be an expert in every single statute that's in the, in the criminal laws. And that's why you pass it along to prosecutors after you gather the, the initial evidence. It's bizarre that something like this is taking so long in the me too era. Uh, it's a lack of leadership, unfortunately on, on something that is an important matter of public policy.
1: And Ralph. Yeah, i kinda back my brain for a reason that um, it might have gone into what Ross calls the never-never land. Um, If there is a political will, um, you know, it doesn't have to be a consensus, but just if it's popular and easy to pass, it generally just gets passed, especially toward the ends of sessions. Uh, 2018 was an election year. Maybe this thing got pushed off because they had other things to do. Um, Perhaps it wasn't as politically popular as somebody once imagined. i would think that the public would like it because it helps it protects ordinary people who are being stalked or chased or even trolled, as it may be. Um, but perhaps the legislators themselves were worried they couldn't go go follow their stalk their political opponents. Um, not sure how much police time would be allocated to that. It's quite easy to pass a law here and then just not actually order the police to make it a priority, so that doesn't stand in the way of passage. Um, so it could just be one of those things that's um, it's nice, but there's some technical glitch. There's some, there's something out there that we can't see, um, that has pushed it in the background somewhere.
0: And before we go this week, Causeway Bay books founder Lam Wing Kee. Well, he announced this week that he plans to reopen his store in Taipei on April the 25th. Lam, of course, fled to Taiwan from Hong Kong two months after the government in the former British territory proposed the controversial extradition bill in February of 2019. And if you want to know where it's going to be, well, it's going to be near Exit 3 of the MRT's Zhongshan Station on Nanjing West Road. Lam said there was no particular reason why he chose the April 25th opening date, and he said the store would not hold any special activities on its opening day to minimize the risk of overcrowding due to the coronavirus pandemic. So, Ross, overcrowding at the new Causeway Bay bookstore in Taiwan on its opening day. Uh, I'm
2: sure he'll get a, a big media splash when he opens. You know, people in, in Taiwan are um, sympathetic or, if you prefer, supportive uh, of Mr. Lam and, and what happened to him. And, and then it's mixed together, although what happened to him Came before the protests last year in Hong Kong. Uh, I think in the eyes of the Taiwan public and the media, these issues are all associated. So uh, there'll be some support initially. I'd expect uh, business will be brisk initially, subject to the virus situation. And again, that that's probably out of sympathy or support for him. But over the long term, as we all know, small bookstores, small independent bookstores. That's a tough business to make a living off of in, in Taiwan. And I, I'd, I'd hate to see a few years from now some story in the news that the bookstore quietly closed because he couldn't make a go of it.
1: Um, I would agree with Ross. I think it will make a, a, a big splash in the beginning. He'll get some media coverage. The public who remembers and supports him and remembers the protests will go and see what he's got to sell. Um, whether he survives and prospers in that bookstore. Um, depends on what he's selling. There are some other boutique bookstores in that that neighborhood that are back in the alleys, and uh, they do get a little bit of business from what I've seen. But it's not—it's—it's it's nothing like an athlete. So, and there is—and there are two esleys right in that same neighborhood. So he's going to have a, a tough slog there. Uh, but if he sells stuff that you can't get in other places, the kind of things he was selling in Hong Kong, he should find. A, 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 a small but fairly dedicated Taiwanese readership uh, who are curious about, you know, the, the inside life of uh, of uh, Xi Jinping and whoever else is out there who's, who is on the on, on the reading list that got him in trouble, um, you know. But it's going to be a small audience, or it's um, you know, you can't people here may be passingly interested in. in Political topics involving China, but it's nothing compared to how to pass the TOEIC exam and Japanese anime cartoons, which is what people usually go to bookstores for.
2: Ralph, are you are you saying like the reading public in Taiwan is not interested in, in the private life of like the number six person on the Politburo Standing Committee in China?
1: <laughs> I think they're I think they are, uh, but whether they're interested enough to buy a big book about it, I think there, are, I think there's an, uh, uh, some people here who are keenly interested, and they'll buy everything they can. But most people aren't going to be going back again and again and again to see what's, what's what's in the store.
0: Anyway, that's where we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined in the studio today by Ross Feingold. Have a great weekend. And on the telephone by Ralph Jennings. Thanks, Gavin. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on iTunes and Android podcast apps where you get access to all our previous shows.